Hi, I am Tingan, and this is the Parents in Tech Podcast. Welcome to Season 2, where we interview dads who are technology company leaders based in Southeast Asia. After hearing from moms in Season 1, now it's time to speak to dads who are raising kids while striving in their careers. Let's find out the stories, challenges, and advice they have for us. In this episode, we speak to Shadab, Head of Fintech and Innovation APEC at Stroders. Shadab is a fintech leader through and through. He is the president of the Singapore Fintech Association, member of the Digital Innovation Committee at the Investment Management Association of Singapore, and the head of community at the Fintech Nation. Shadab is father to two children, a daughter, age eight, and a son, age four. Hey, Shadab, welcome to the Parents in Tech show. To begin with, could you tell us a bit more about your family? Hi, Shannon. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here and have a chat. Well, I've got two kids. One is eight-year-old daughter and a son, four-year-old, of course, with a loving wife. So the family is good and well settled, <laughs> as you can imagine at this stage. But the things can be a bit tricky sometimes <laughs> with that age of kids. <laughs> Absolutely. A lot for us to get into there, but maybe let's dial back a bit into how the conversation about kids came along with your wife. When did you guys talk about it? Were you aligned about the number of children that you wanted to have? That's a question that's quite interesting to say the least. For us, kids were of course always in our minds. It's just that we wanted to give each other a bit of time after marriage as well. So conversation happened and the number was never set. But yeah, thankfully, first one was born two and a half years after we got married. And the second one was born four years after that. It's a relatively healthy age difference between the two as well. But of course, four and a half years of difference can be sometimes challenging because the elder one expects to be treated as the elder person in the house. <laughs> but a good balance. I mean, on hindsight, some people might think it. I mean, I've seen some of my friends as well, where the optimal age difference between two and three years between two kids, but four and a half is good. Okay, okay. So maybe let me double click a bit more about the challenges, right? When you welcomed your younger son into the world, what were some of the challenges that you had to deal with your daughter? My wife was quite clear from the beginning that we need to make sure that the sibling rivalry doesn't pick up right from the first day. So the first challenge was to ensure that we get her sort of accustomed or agree to the fact that there is someone coming. In a way, she had already expecting to have another sibling just for someone to play with. So that way it worked out fine. So in a way, the, the conversation with her was, well, you asked for someone to play with and God has listened to your request. Whoever is coming will be someone who you will be playing with. So thankfully, that part was resolved in the beginning itself. That's wonderful. And I feel like at the age of about four, four and a half, when they start to develop their vocabulary, their language skills, at least you're able to share that with them. Thinking hypothetically, if let's say you only had maybe a two-year gap when they just started learning a few words, it might be hard for them to feel that way. So I'm sure over the past four years since your son came into the world, that must have been quite an experience or so seeing him grown up. I'm curious whether the second time was easier than the first time. First time, I'm sure as all parents, I would love to hear the challenges you face. And then second time, was it like, ah, no kick? <laughs> it never gets easier, does it? I mean, I don't think our parents also believe that. <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, our parents also believe that it never gets easier. For us, uh, since the difference was slightly more than optimal, which is two to three years, we did forget quite a few things <laughs> in the second one. So the first one, of course, was difficult. Everything is 
were happening for the first time. There's a lot more enthusiasm. And I'll be very honest, the second one, there is enthusiasm, but slightly toned down. But at the same time, you really need to relearn and redo a lot of things, relearn the skills. And, and I'll be very honest, mothers do 100 or 1,000 times more than fathers for all the reasons that we are aware of. I mean, you do get involved. You want to get involved as much as possible. But the second one, you need to relearn a few things. Okay, so so I'm going to stop you right there. What is one or two things that you forgot and you had to relearn? Oh man, I forgot how to change diapers. <laughs> well... <laughs> well, well, you took it for granted. Also, right? became slightly challenging. I mean, toilet training daughter, can be difficult and different for different yeah. kids, right? So, for the second one, it has taken a longer time compared to the first one. Right. But it's all fun in the end, and I'm sure you're hearing some of the background noise as well. <laughs> <laughs> you see, that's the benefit of running a parents' podcast, right? I get the excuse <laughs> for all these background noise. Um, you know, this might not be a glamorous topic in the truest sense of the word, but shut up! Can you talk me through toilet training? for both your kids. Because I realized I've spoken to about 20 guests across uh, both seasons now. No one, I've not spoken with anyone on that. So you have the honor of this this topic. Yeah. I must say the disclaimer is I'm not the lead player in this game. (laughs) The lead player still remains my wife. But it gets challenging given that they need to go to school as well. And at night times, you would rather have them with diapers, right? So the training can only happen during the day. You may have carpets at home or you may have things at home. So when things are moving around slightly unprotected, you just have to be careful where the source of issue is putting itself on. So whether it's the bed or whether it's the couch or whether it is where, so you just need to be more careful. Of course, accidents do happen all the time. Very, very patient in dealing with the accidents. Because no matter how good you are or how good you think you can be, accidents will happen. One of the biggest challenges that you will face that is there's no way to time it. <laughs> think about an end game or end date to it. Different kids are different. Some may take a week to get trolley trained. Some of them may do it for two, three days fine. And then they'll go back to the normal and so on. And especially, like I said, nighttime doesn't help. So, you know, they may get back to their own habits once the whole day is over. Just be patient. Got it, got it. And this is really asking for myself because I also have an 18-month-old daughter. How long does toilet training take? And I know, like you said, there's periods of regression, but if you just had to do a rough estimate, like how long does it take? At least two to three weeks, I would say. Okay. It's not shorter than that. In in certain cases, it can be a week, but at least two to three weeks is probably what I've heard in most cases. Okay. And that, that doesn't sound too bad. At least it's not in the month's range. So, okay, that's good to know. No, but then it has to be continuous, right? But if you're if right. you're traveling or any such thing happens, then it becomes a virtual. Because if you miss it by a day, mm. then you are probably starting from day zero. True. And speaking of travel, shut up, you are in a phase where it's interesting, right? Because when your kids were younger, COVID didn't happen. I'm sure your wife traveled a fair bit for work mostly. And now with COVID, Things have changed. So maybe talk to me a bit more about how that transition has been for you over the past two years compared to pre-COVID times. Probably I'll give you a bit of an overview. The change has been nothing but positive, if I think about it. Given the amount of time that I've been able to spend with the family is definitely longer than I would have in usual days, just because of our hectic travel schedules, right? In the kind of roles that we are in nowadays, especially, you know, in Singapore, you are in regional role, there's not much you can do, but to be on the road. So that way, I'm very thankful for all the wrong reasons. Uh, we have been so, so-called home stationed and things have been slightly We definitely have had more quality time with the kids, for sure. Sometimes a bit more than what you have wanted, but (laughs) 
but you know where I'm coming from. So overall, I think the transition has been positive. I mean, of course, there have been quite a few challenges to start with in the beginning. I'll highlight a couple of them. One was, of course, making sure that you are in an environment, in a family environment, your mind functions in a different way while in a very professional environment. So if you're doing some of these serious professional meetings, sometimes it becomes a bit distracting when you have kids knocking on the door and asking you which one of these two chocolates am I allowed to eat today? You need to find a way to show them away from the camera, but still manage it in a way. And the second challenge I would say has been trying to find that end time for yourself to cut yourself away from work. So this room that I'm talking from right now, it's been my work room for the past two years, three months. And I'll give you a very interesting reason why I'm calling it a one particular type. So my son is four years old and three, four months ago, I was starting to him about something and something. Then he said, can you do it from your room? And I said, which room are you talking about? So he said, your calling room. Wow. And, and then I figured because I'm always telling him that Zed, I'm on calls. I am going on a call right now. He started calling it a calling room. That's a very unique way of addressing a room, right? We all call it study room or study, but you know, it's a calling room. That's when I realized that there are times when you need to sort of find that end time frame for yourself as well. So I've also realized that if I'm coming out of this room at 5 or 5 p.m., he knows that I'm only out for maybe a a cup of tea or water. But if he sees me coming out at 6.30 or 7, he knows I'm done for the day. He'll also ask, are you done? That's the kind of challenge that I was facing a lot in the beginning where I could not really differentiate between, you know, when I should end work and all. Getting that balance right is quite a bit of a task for all of us who've been working from home. Got it. And thanks for sharing that. So what were some of the ways and things that helped you to draw that boundaries clearer? Just making sure that you are actually carving out a specific period of the day where you only devote it to your family. When I say like that, that period, you have to keep your phone away. And I've heard my four-year-old telling me many times, keep your phone away. Don't look at your phone. Look at me. Wow. So, okay. And that has reinforced the fact that between seven and nine, I try to put my phone away and I'm generally spending time with them. Of course, you know, they go to sleep at nine and then you have your whole second shift starting again clearing your emails and all. That boundary is very important. And I think all of us need to understand that boundary is important for your employees also. I was hearing a story on BBC News today morning about South Korea. That boundary becomes a bit of a challenge because of the culture. I just hope that, and I'm not pinpointing at South Korea itself. I mean, there are many other countries. In fact, even us Singaporeans can be seen as guilty of that a few a lot of times. But the point here is, as professionals, we need to put those boundaries clearly yes. and at the same time, implement them as well. Agreed. I think it's so hard because the switch from work to family used to be a lot clearer with the whole commute that really helps us to do that switch. But it really takes a fair bit of discipline and practice. And I'm glad that you went through that and you're also able to share how you managed to do it. So earlier you also mentioned about quality time. So could you describe what does quality time with family look like? To me, it's mainly spending time with them when everybody is feeling comfortable and feeling that sense of enjoyment and happiness. With kids, it can be simply playing games at home. I remember during the circuit breaker times, mm. you were really scared to go out, right? And how it was all the while. So one thing you could do is you could get everyone in the car and then go for a round. But then you couldn't get out also because, you know, by law, you're not supposed to. But that actually created fun ways of managing the time in the car. So you could be playing games in the car. What is it? And you know, find me. Uh, I'm looking for something green and so on. Right? And these kind of games we have all played before. Yeah. But then more importantly, at home also, spending time with them in a way that yep. you can use that space that you have Correct. with some creative games, which could be I spy with my little eyes or you're looking, you're, you know, seek and, uh, hide and seek and all. Mm -hmm. 
the way I see it is it's about making sure that your kids see you as someone they can have fun with as well. And that's the biggest challenge that we have when we are living as nuclear families as we are in the environment. And a lot of times they are looking for friends in you all the time, especially with COVID. You couldn't send them out for play dates. You couldn't take them out to playgrounds where there are multiple kids out there. So you ended up being their friend and the buddy that they were looking for. Supporting that, I think, for the quality time part, it's about creating memories and making sure that you have something unique going on with them. To be honest, I'm one of the most uncreative people in the world, as my daughter points out to me every time she's teaching me some kind of art. (laughs) But I have come up with one or two games which are very unique, which only my kids know what those games are, and only I know how to play with them. So that unique bonding is there. So they will be requesting me sometimes at 8.30 or 8.45 at night. Let's just play that because we want to have some fun. So that's the quality time I'm I'm talking about, which is completely irreplaceable with anything else. Yeah, absolutely. And it's these small things that I guess to outside, it's almost hard to describe sometimes. It almost feels like minor attract, but it's really these small things that just feel so meaningful. And I feel like it's the things that we remember, both as parents as well as the children. So shut up. As a parent in tech, as a dad in tech, what do you think is the biggest challenge you face right now? As a dad in tech, I'll probably talk about the challenges that I see myself where I need to shield my kids from the challenges of technology. So there's a very difficult balance to strike between being uh, technology conversant versus technology extremely dependent on it. The challenge that I see with the kids nowadays is that things have become so digital that they're always looking for ways to you know, use a touchscreen device. I mean, a lot of time, they, if you give them, let's say, a device to you know, play around with, they can spend hours on it, right? You won't even realize when the time has passed by. So that becomes a major challenge. You know, how do you make sure that they are conversant? They'll be using tech only for the reasons that they need to. I mean, they don't get addicted to it. I'll give you one major sign of, uh, uh, let me, let me uh, you know, share the story. We were planning for the first birthday of our daughter and she had started to crawl and all. And by that time, a lot of times we would show her the screen and, you know, she would look at it. And when we printed the poster with the, you know, very nice designs of balloons and cakes and all on it to put it out outside the venue, I realized that she started to touch on that and try to do some things on that. Uh, assuming it's a touchscreen. That was a warning sign for me. I was like, okay, we need to find a way to let her experience more real toys than the touchscreens. So thankfully, we were very disciplined after that. And we made sure that there was limited exposure to tech devices compared to just giving it to her and making life easy for us. (laughs) And we followed that for our son as well. And thankfully, the son is not so dependent on these things, right? So going back to where my work and my professional work comes in as well, one of the challenges of being in tech, it's probably a challenge in quite a few other professions as well, is the time of uncertainty that might just pop up. So you just need to be prepared to attend to challenges and issues. And this may not happen to my specific job role, but I have colleagues who take care of issues and crisis events as well. So that can be a bit challenging when those things pop up 3 a.m. at night or over a weekend. So that's always a challenge that tech professionals face with families. Yeah, and things move so fast in tech, there's always this need to always be on. So like you said earlier, also carving those boundaries out. But maybe also going back to the screen routine, could you give us a bit of insight and color, especially for your son, right? It sounds like for your daughter, there was a bit of learning curve and lessons learned, and you kind of took that and applied it for how you would teach your son about his relationship with technology and screens. What does that look like practically on a day-to-day schedule basis? 
I'll give a disclaimer before that. Every kid is different. So whatever things that you might apply as a parent may have a completely different effect on your own two different kids, right? In our son's case, as an example, we made sure that we were not overexposing him to or exposing him to much of screens or phones and mobiles, especially, you know, the kind of habits that we have all seen in restaurants and food courts, right? That kids will have an iPad or a phone in front of them with some nice cartoons playing on it and then they are being fed. So we tried not to do that with the son because we had already faced that with the daughter in the beginning. So that sort of created less of a dependency for him to perform routine tasks in response to visual stimulation. So we tried to remove that. And in terms of schedule, I think as a preschooler, he gets up and he goes to school. Once he comes back at 12 plus, then he gets to watch television for an hour and then he goes for a nap. And that's it. No TV until 6 p.m. when he gets to watch for another hour. And what that has created is less curiosity in keeping his eye fixated on television. So he'll watch for a while and he'll come keep playing and then he'll watch for a while and keep playing. But two hours at most of a bigger screen. And the second important thing I would really advise all parents is don't rely on iPads and don't rely on these screen devices to hand it over to them because they are very accessible. There are just so many clicks that they can do and the interaction with the device or the usability makes it very addictive. Television is an idiot box, but I think in this scenario, idiot box helps us. That's so good. Okay, thanks for the advice. See, that's the reason why I do this podcast, which makes a lot of sense because they can't interact with the TV. After a while, you watch, you get bored, you get tired. Yeah, but on the screen, as we all know, right, we work in front of our computers, our laptops for eight hours, 10 hours a day. So, okay, wonderful. And I guess also with the whole blurred lines between work and family, how has being a parent over the past eight years shaped the way you are a leader at work? Time management. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> time management and setting your priorities, right? Because with all the flexibility that you have in managing your time with respect to your family, with your work, you tend to prioritize your items and agenda well. You tend to plan your day well as well because some days I'll start at 8 a.m. and some days I'll start at 9.30 a.m. And some days I'll go to work because I've got meetings outside. And in between, there are times when I have to come back to pick up my daughter from enrichment classes and so on. So you'll be able to manage that. Let's say there is an enrichment class at 5 o'clock. You will finish your meetings by 4.30. You'll pick her up and come back home. Then you'll get on to calls maybe until 7.38. Then you finish your email. So... There's always that flexibility in times when you are delivering the work versus how much time, because how much time is not going to change. We all know if we leave a wet towel on your bed in the morning, you come back home, it will stay there, right? It's not going to go away, assuming you're staying alone at home. So the same thing applies to work, right? No matter the kind of roles that we are in nowadays, we have to manage it ourselves. That is, the, I think, the biggest benefit of this whole flexibility. I'll turn it around to employers from an employer's perspective as well. It may be challenging for certain professions where too much flexibility can create impediments in the work just because there are certain areas which are very research and focus intensive. So then it becomes a bit more challenging because you need to have a certain time frame where you need to be really, really focused on a specific task. Thankfully for somebody in my role, which is more business focused and broader, it's relatively easier to manage my time across multiple tasks. And it has been the case for the past eight, 10 years altogether. That's wonderful. So that ability to prioritize, to time manage. And I feel like you become a lot more efficient and intentional also when you're at work, right? Because you know that, for example, you've already set the boundary in the evening where you want to be available and fully present with your kids. So that really kind of incentivizes and encourages you to act quickly and to make sure that you do the first things first. Yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. Wonderful. 
So when you talk about dads, especially thanks to the media, which is what we're talking about, uh, there are many stereotypes and status quos uh, that are portrayed and put on dads. So what's one stereotype or status quo that you reject? One stereotype would be dads can never replace moms in supporting their kids. I would say it depends on the age of the kid. I mean, up to six months, it's impossible for any dad to replace mom in any shape or form. Mm. After that, with some help, you can yeah. manage. I've been able to manage two of my kids for 11, 12 days while my wife was away to attend to something really urgent. It is manageable. It's just that dads tend to use it as an excuse yes. sometimes not to be put in that position because, you know, you also deny your ability to do something. For sure. It's hard for others to believe in it, right? believe in you, right? True, true, true. Maybe tell me a bit more about the experience. I know it probably has been a while because that probably was pre-COVID, right? But yeah, managing both kids 11 to 12 days alone, what was it like? It happened uh, during COVID only because there was some emergency that my wife had to attend to. But overall, it was an experience, I can tell you. I mean, the four-year-old would never sleep with me, but the routine is that he sleeps with the helper and then she puts him to bed and then we bring him back to the room. But the moment the wife left the house, he was like, I am sleeping with you. I'm not going with the helper. 11 days he stayed with me and the day mom came back, he never looked back at me. So that was the fun part. And just yesterday, he was reminding me that when mom goes overseas, then I can sleep with you. <laughs> so, so you, so you that, are just, that was a, you're just a substitute. <laughs> that's that, uh, but that's beautiful. Yeah. 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 I would actually advise to do that at some point of time, especially for dads, because to a certain extent, we all know that even if both of us are working, there is a little bit of, I would say, preferential treatment going on towards moms for all the right reasons. I would never say anything again. That's natural. And that is how I am to my mom as well, as an example. But if you put yourself in a situation where the kids have no choice but to be with you, I would say the bonding becomes stronger. So I would always encourage that to happen. I mean, there are a lot of times where during the day as well, I'll, on a weekend, I'll just say my wife can rest and or maybe she's not feeling very well. I'll just take the kids out. Just go somewhere, spend time with them one-on-one -on -one or alone. It just helps them understand that, you know, you're there with them for all the enjoyment play purposes as well. So bonding, bonding becomes stronger. So I would strongly encourage all of us dads to do that. Definitely. And it also builds that confidence, like you were saying earlier, right? That you are able to handle your kids, you're able to manage them, and you feel that you're so less reliant in a negative way with your wife. I like that. So, shut up. If you look towards the future over the next couple of years, what do you think will be your biggest challenge as a parent to two very lively and young kids? I think the biggest challenge is, I mean, that my earlier point as well, to keep a balance between keeping them aware of the technological changes that are happening, what are the new technologies that are coming up, but then making sure and keeping them away from getting addicted to the challenges. We all know where Web 3.0 Metaverse is evolving. I mean, of course, I'm a big fan and big supporter, given that it does tie in very well to the overall fintech landscape as well in certain ways. But the fact is, if they get too much entangled into the virtual space only, they would not be appreciating too much of the real world as well. I mean, I'm just a bit worried about how, for us, it's very natural that we know how to differentiate between real versus virtual, right? Because we have seen it evolving. It has become a part of our lives. But we know when to switch it off and then go back to the real world. But for the newer generation that is just growing up in a society where a lot of the activities can be done virtually, will it keep them away from the real interactions? And we can see it in our pre-COVID, the parties as well. A lot of times you will see the kids having these handphones in their hands yes. and playing games while they are in the same space. 
So that's a big challenge. I think it can probably get worse if we as parents do not take conscious effort to let them keep a balance. And I don't want my kids to be the so-called tech illiterates in their circle as well, where they don't understand what are the new trends in the market, which are the new games that are coming up, what are the new technologies that are coming up. So of course, I want them to be switched on. But keeping that balance, that is where I think it's going to be the bigger challenge for the newer generation, because they are actually the real digital native people compared to us who have more like adopted kids. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. We, I, I'm sure we all remember the Nokia block phone days or even pager days, whereas for kids, yeah, life without screens, it's unimaginable. <laughs> nice. Well, Shadab, thank you so much for sharing all this really wonderful experience and advice that you have. To kind of wrap up our session today, if there's one lesson you have learned as a parent in tech, what would that be? Don't underestimate your kids. They are listening, they are watching, they are always judging you. So just be careful to utter every single word that you say in front of them and also the, your body language. I mean, I don't want to go into examples, but I've seen so many times when my daughter or my son would emulate my reaction to mm. a particular action, be it while I'm driving a car or looking at something. They are always listening. They're always learning from you. So without trying to sound very idealistic here, but it's for your own good as parents that you're very careful in choosing the right words, right body language, teaching empathy to our kids. One of the things I've realized is that we get so engrossed with our work, with our work pressures and other types of pressures that we sometimes forget that our reaction is actually creating a different level of psychiatry in our own kids. We just have to be very careful that their minds are extremely impressionable. Mm. The way we react in situations is what they are learning from you the most. So if you don't have a grip, grip on that, it will come and bite you sometime in future. So as parents, think about your own future when you are dealing with situations. And it's easier said than done. I know what I'm saying. But keeping that in your subconscious all the time, that whatever you do in front of your kids is going to be absorbed by them is very important. So we just need to be careful. And that would probably help us in the long run as well in terms of managing our own emotions. I fully agree that we are role models, not just the what we speak, but also the way we act. Well, thank you so much for taking time out, Shut Up, especially on a weekday evening. I know this is the time that you usually spend with your kids, so I really appreciate it. If our parents listening to this podcast would like to connect with you, how can they best do so? They can connect me with, with me over LinkedIn if they do have an account, or I'm happy to share my personal email with them. It's shutuptayabi at gmail.com. Sure, will do. Well, thank you so much. It's such a joy to have you on the show today, Shada. Thank you, Chennan. Thank you for inviting me. Really appreciated the time and also you being so casual about the chat. I really liked it. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Parents in Tech podcast with me, your host, Singan. We hope you were inspired on how to raise kids and build companies. To catch up on earlier episodes or stay updated with upcoming ones, head over to www.parents.fm to join our community of parents in tech. There, you can also drop me a question, idea, feedback, or suggestion. Once again, the website is www.parents.fm. That's all for this episode, folks. See you next time.